Well, I'm here with Joelle Marin. She is a Catholic speaker, and you have been a CEO and founder of your own cosmetic company, <laughs> Cosmetics, and you've been an actor and a model. I guess your main work was as a model, is that right? Or Yeah, I did a, a lot of modeling, mm -hmm. but I grew up on stage, actually. I was five years old and made my first uh, stage appearance in mm. a song, Thank Heavens for Little Girls. <laughs> oh. Kind of providential looking back. And uh. the guy um, decided to kiss me in the middle of the song and I smacked him across the face. So. <laughs> 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 that was my first debut. And so that brings up your Italian, your New York Italian heritage, right? <laughs> yes, I'm from New York. And you know, um, I think it's important to to uh, know where we're from and stay true to that and always be part of ourselves. And so right. you notice I talk with my hands a lot. Uh -huh. Growing up, all the conversation was about food and, and wine for the adults and, and sharing emotions. Italians are very passionate and emotional. So if right. things are good, they're like really, really good, really <laughs> exciting. And if things are sad, they're like, it's very you know, despairing <laughs> as the end of the world, yeah. you know. So, so there's always some kind of opera going on in your yeah, house. <laughs> but, but what I love about it, too, is that you don't have, there's no guesswork on whether or not someone really likes you yeah. <laughs> or likes what you're doing or, right. or what right. their opinion is. It's just, we just give it, tell it like it is. <laughs> <laughs> but you grew up in New York City then? Uh, no, at about two hours outside of Manhattan okay. in a small little Italian town called Marlboro. Okay. And then you did acting plays and stuff growing up yeah and... so i grew up in the theater my mother uh, had a theater company and then i started oh. auditioning and going into manhattan on the train so i had agents you know mm -hmm. and a manager and so i did all kinds of things film um mm -hmm. and you know i got into the modeling thing i never really thought that i would be a model i'm actually mm -hmm. only five four mm -hmm. um actually five three mm -hmm. <laughs> if i'm gonna be really <laughs> honest um and i used to lie on my on my comp card they called a comp card a right. modeling card and said i was like five five you know mm -hmm. but for print modeling there was no height and someone had encouraged me to go and i thought well i can't be a model you know and mm -hmm. sure enough i just started booking a lot of jobs and did ads for Jurgens and you know had a billboard uh -huh. in Times Square like the craziest things but mm -hmm. it wasn't like I was seeking to be a model right. you know right it just is something that happened. happened and we didn't actually get to talk about this before but you had a, a great tragedy in your life with the loss of your sister is that right or yeah and um when I was six years old you know it was like a week before Christmas and out of all things it was our advent wreath Someone mm. forgot to blow out the candles and mm. it caught it must have caught on fire. This is, you know, all speculation of how did this fire start in our home? And then there was a Christmas tree right next to it. And so I barely made it out of the house. You know, by the time I could hear my dad, barely you could hear him because the flames, you know, it was just roaring. It was so loud. By the time, you know, he got me out, the whole front of the house was gone. Mm. Um, and sadly, you know, my sister Maria, who was 11 at the time, mm she didn't make it out. And so that tragedy just, I mean, talk about your life being burnt down to the ground. I mean, right. to lose my sister and your yeah. home and, you know, of course, even your toys, whatever, like all right. that was nothing right. compared to family, but it tore my family apart to the point where, you know, I, I really felt like an orphan. You know, mm. my parents, and I don't blame them. I've forgiven them. You know, mm. there's been so much healing over the years because I, I can now understand it, you right. know, that they were in their own depression and despair. The whole family was in shock. But your, we, yeah. Yeah. And your mom was in the house as well? And no, oh. no, she was, she happened to be out at a play rehearsal. So what happened is everyone kind of blamed themselves, mm. you know, and then got stuck in this kind of self-pity and blame and depression and grief, you know, yeah. and the process of grief is very complicated. And, yeah. you know, and so at that point, 
um, three months later on my seventh birthday, I was like, I need to do something, you know? And I was really actually a very prayerful little girl. To be honest, you could see St. Mary's mm -hmm. Catholic Church from our house. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just, I believed in prayer. I believed yeah. in the Bible. I believed in the word of God. Like God right. does what he says he's gonna mm -hmm. do. And so the problem is I tried to take matters into my own hand and tell God what I think he should do. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in, innocently, because I was young, but I put together on my seventh birthday on my bed, like all the dolls that were donated to me, because I didn't even have any of my own left. And even the doll that my, was left over for my sisters, you know, it, you could, it smelled like this musty smell. You could tell it was in a house fire, you know, but it was like my treasure. So I just gave God the only treasures I had, which were these dolls. And I laid them out on my bed at the, and we were staying at my grandmother's house while building a new house. And it was kind of like without me knowing it was this altar of sacrifice. Like, God, I will give you everything that I have if you can just give me my sister back. And I, I prayed like with my whole heart for God to mm -hmm. raise her, you know, and I think in my prayer, it was like abracadabra, like I was just this genie or, you know, like magician who's going to bring her back. And then, which actually is Hebrew roots, the word abracadabra, believe it or not. But, you know, then I, I waited and nothing happened. I prayed again. I mean, like, I wasn't giving, I was a very kind of stubborn, prayerful little girl. And I'm like, you can do this. Like, did you not hear me? And you know, I prayed again and then nothing happened. And then by that point, I was just like, you know, starting to lose hope. But I said, well, let me just give it one more try. And I asked God again to raise her from the dead. And when he didn't, I was just like crushed because I mean, at that age, I was like, wait a minute, I read the Bible. You can raise the dead. Like, this is a no-brainer. <laughs> did, <laughs> did you not hear my, you know, I didn't realize, you know, that we're supposed to present our problems to God. Like at the right. wedding at Cana where it's like, you know, we bring the problem. Hey, we're out of wine, you know, and then see what God's response is to that. You know, how do we get filled back up when we're empty? Right. I tried to take matters in my own hands and I just thought, well, God didn't love me. And so at that moment, I didn't like have that same trust and that mm. same childlike faith. I still went to church. You know, I still tried to please my family until I got into college, at least. And um, but I didn't really think God loved me. I didn't know the love of the father. He seems kind of like this miserable man in the sky that like ruins people's lives at that point, because mm -hmm. I was just too young to comprehend why do bad things happen to good people. Right. We get that question right. in ministry a lot. Right. And. Did you ever get a satisfactory answer for that? <laughs> <laughs> several years, <laughs> several years in the making, you know. Do you think there was some grace that you could point to that suffering and stuff that was given to your family? Or sometimes people oh. have a sense. I mean, I, I had my experience, like my father passed away when I was 20 yeah. and I he had cancer and I knew I had this conversion experience after like a year or two after. And I knew it was just the grace of that suffering, and we prayed for our healing. You know, it didn't. I mean, he had a little bit longer to live, but um, yeah. did you have a sense of a grace given? To, to be honest, that that time of my life was so dark. Mm -hmm. But I believe the grace is what happened. You know, in 2012, when I had this deep encounter with God and turned my whole life around. Um, I think that's when the grace entered because I don't believe uh -huh. that grace can function in our lives, at least from my experience, until our heart is open to receive it. If yeah. we just like put that wall up and we just close ourselves out, how can God work in that? You right. know, but it was after I finally messed up my life enough, checked every box of anything I ever thought I wanted, you know, chased other gods in materialism mm -hmm. and false beauty 
you know, what yeah. I thought I was supposed to be or where I was going to get my identity and worth. Once I realized that that was empty and I had never been more lonely and I needed God. I mean, I prayed all those years, even if I didn't go to church. But my prayers were, God, give me this, give me that. He was right. my personal assistant. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. how can grace act with someone who's <laughs> so <laughs> domineering and demanding? <laughs> you know, once I got on my knees and I cried out and I said, yeah. you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I need you. I need help. I've never been more miserable. I don't care what it looks like to the world. Everyone thought I had this amazing, you know, fantastic, you know, fabulous right. life. And I was just living in this shell, like an empty shell with a yeah. false identity. Yeah. And yeah, I, well, let me ask you about that life because you went on, did some movie work, modeling work and stuff. Did you have good friends in that, in there? Or was it, you were pretty much alone or? You know, I, I worked so much. I worked mm -hmm. until two o'clock in the morning <laughs> most wow. nights. I had um, someone who cooked for me, mm. someone who cleaned for me. You know, I had my kids yeah. in daycare from 6.30 in the morning to 6.30 at night. Right. I was, you know, which to, honestly at my reversion, one of my biggest regrets was my time, you know, missed with my children growing up. Um, I was so caught up in chasing things. Yeah, I had friendships, but they were shallow. It was yeah. about, you know, people also, you know, would be using me. What can you do for me? You know, right. not necessarily a loving relationship where someone saw me for me. And I think that's part of what tore me down is at the end of the day, I was like, well, I don't even know who I am anymore. You know, I got to this photo shoot in Hollywood and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, who are you? And who are your friends? Who really cares about you? You know, I didn't know we're created for relationship. I didn't know about the Trinity. I didn't know God's relationship. I just knew I didn't have one that was true with anyone, including myself. Mm -hmm. I think that world you get caught up in a lot of shallowness and people just want stuff from you and want to use you and see you as a dollar sign. And I think I was always somebody's dollar sign. Right. And you were actually had stopped going to church for a number of years. And yeah, I spent 12 years away from the church. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I would still say I was Catholic, mm -hmm. <laughs> still say I was Christian, you yeah. know, would still pray these ridiculous prayers to God of what celebrity I wanted to work with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was away from church. I was away from God. And I didn't even realize my blindness because the, I, to me, the most scary part of all of my experience is that I thought I had this straight ticket to heaven. I thought I didn't have to work on my salvation. I thought I was this amazing, wonderful person. Mm. Was it stressful in itself? I mean, like I to me, it would be it'd be terrifying to get up and act on the stage or something. Was that <laughs> stressful to you or is that just natural? You just wanted to do it and to, to be honest, it's just um, it's something that you can't fake. Like, you know, I just, mm -hmm. whenever I'm on stage or I get yeah. up to talk, it's like a light switch goes off. I don't uh -huh. know how to explain it. It's it's a gift from God. We all have different gifts. Yeah. And I, it's just one that I was born with. The problem is, is, you know, when I had this encounter with the Lord, I was shown that I was misusing all my gifts towards leading people away, rather right. than leading people to heaven, including my own soul, you know, right. just right. getting caught up in the world worldliness. Mm -hmm. Well, tell us about that that day you were on a rooftop doing a shoot hollywood sign in the back <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. four thousand dollar dress on you know <laughs> celebrity uh photographers and makeup artists and you know hair blowing in the wind it just looked yeah. like a mountaintop moment right. you're like you've made it you've arrived mm -hmm. and there's this moment i have this compact mirror open and i'm looking in it and i just i realize that the reflection looking back like i said it was like an empty shell 
I was like, who are you? How did you get here? <laughs> have you ever thought that before? Or is it that just... No, I mean, there were events leading up to this yeah. where I re started to realize I was broken. I just had no idea how to fix it. I had no idea, you know, why I was so empty. Because right. I just thought, well, once I get the next job, once I get the next sale, once I get the next gigantic house, you know, I just thought all these things and all these... Uh, materialism was going to fill the yeah, void right. that only God could fill because I didn't realize that I didn't have him yeah. in my life. Well, you know, I, I've heard that. I remember one time we had an NFL player years ago. They won the Super Bowl. I think back in the 70s, he won the Super Bowl. And I, and he talked about you know, like the conversion at the top. He said because he was literally was on the bus leaving the stadium saying, I wonder if I'm going to make the team next year. Mm. It was like so fragile and everything. He couldn't even finish the night of winning the Super Bowl, you know, without experiencing <laughs> the, the next yeah the thing. insecurity. And but I just wonder, like, if that if that was like a peak experience in your career, and you say, "Is this all there is?" It seemed like well, I had checked yeah. every box yeah. at that point, yeah. and it was just kind of like, "Okay, well, this didn't." You just you almost get in the mentality, "Well, no, if I do this, then I'm going to be happy." And mm. when you've checked all the boxes that you thought were going to make you happy, and you right. realize you feel like you have nothing, right? you know? And mm -hmm. so I spent that night on the shower floor of a fancy hotel room in West Hollywood crying after being all out all night with celebrities and hanging out on Rodeo Drive. And, you know, mm -hmm. all these crazy things happened that night and temptations and thank God I didn't, you know, go for them. Although I was tempted. I was, I was just really mm -hmm. lost. I didn't know what direction was safe to go anymore. Right. So I finally said, I'm going to go back to my room. And I went back to my room and I was on the shower floor crying for, it must've been hours. I mean, I don't know how long I was in there. Mm -hmm. But I, I prayed. I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, I need you. I need help. Mm -hmm. I don't have this. Mm -hmm. I think that's when grace entered in. And it was the next week, you know, now with an open heart that I returned to Austin. And I had that deep encounter, like just walking in my bathroom to my closet. Mm -hmm. And tell us about that. What happened there? Yeah. I mean, it was, it's something that you can never put in words. I do my best. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do my best to try to explain it but it was kind of like this near-death experience the saints call it like an illumination of conscience saint faustina had it happen it's actually in the catechism as well too that like at at our death that we're going to have to render for all of our works you know mm -hmm. and why god allowed me this grace ahead of time is not because i was a saint it's because mm -hmm. i was so far lost and clearly he wants others you know to the point is not to die and then get the judgment. The point is to live an amazing life and be who we're supposed to be so that when we face God, we do have a straight ticket to heaven. You know, like that's our goal, right? Our goal mm -hmm. is not to end up in hell or purgatory, hopefully, you know, right. but our goal is to do our best. And so because I was so blinded by all the sin, I had this experience and I saw all my sins in full light, like the state of my soul, mm -hmm. like with a spotlight kind of shining on it. And I saw my sins. I saw who followed me. I saw who followed them who followed. I mean, like just the layers deep, the ripple effect of the mm -hmm. good and the bad that we do in life and where it goes. Mm -hmm. And then I was shown my good column. If for some reason that column weighed more, for some reason that column, you know, was weighed more important than my worst sin because it was the column to love the calm to be who I was created to be, the column to use the gifts and graces that I was given for God, that column was like nearly empty. There was hardly anything in it. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I didn't know St. John of the Cross quote, we're judged on love. I didn't know the scriptures, love covers a multitude of sins. Why was that column more important? And it took me years to really process this. I went straight to spiritual direction, but I didn't even talk about it for two years. I hid in the pews. I was scared to death 
at the state of my soul and like, how do I love? How can I love? And so that's what really got me into, you know, even learning the catechesis on human love and theology of the body and relationship and what is love. And even till this day, like I have a, in the middle of my house, it's the Corinthians, you know, love is patient, love is. So now, you know, people also mistake, oh, you have this experience, you experience God, like you're perfect. And it's like, no, I'm still, I can be an expert on relationships and read every book under the sun and tell you all this knowledge, <laughs> but practicing it, <laughs> practicing what you preach as, you know, a homeless man once told me, you have to walk the talk. It's a whole nother thing. So sometimes if I'm mad at somebody or something isn't going right, I'll stare at this love is whatever. And I'll say, oh, Am I doing this for this person? Am I feeling my good calm? Am I being patient with them? Am I seeking their greater good? Mm -hmm. And by the way, am I doing these things for God who is love? Am I being patient with him? Am I trusting in his plan for my life? Right. So in there you made a, a like a, a general confession. Um, how long after that shower experience did you make that confession? But the first thing I did was I read the whole Bible in two mm -hmm. months. I was like, oh my goodness, I need to know about God. Like, like <laughs> I was mm -hmm. scared to death at the state my soul was in. So I was kind of trying to figure out how can God help me pick up these pieces. And so through reading the Bible, I read about God, finally got to the New Testament. I read it from front to back, which mm -hmm. is not a great way <laughs> to read the Bible. Um, I love Jeff the Bible timelines. Jeff told you that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love Jeff. So, wow. um, you know, I think that, you know, in the Bible timeline, I wish I had that tool then that I could go through salvation history and get understanding. But anyway, I was hungry for truth and I held out for the New Testament, even though mm -hmm. I didn't understand as much as I would have liked to at the time of the old. And when I read about this temple and Jesus getting lost in the temple and the teachers, and, um, you know, I just was like, I want to hear from your teachers. I want to get lost in your temple. Like, I just want to get completely lost. And I prayed. I said, where's your temple, Lord? And, you know, even though I was brought up in the Catholic faith, I hadn't been to Catholic church other than if I went to see a family on a holiday, went to, you know, Easter or Christmas, mm -hmm. I didn't understand the richness of the faith. And the image of the Catholic church popped in my mind. And I said, well, I better go check that out again. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, like I hear I was like really trying to find out who I was and where I belonged. I was still sensing I needed belonging because the community that I was in prior to that, it was all about, you know, fame and fortune. And mm -hmm. it was just a different, I did have, you know, also good relationships. I do want to say I did have some very nice friends until this day. You know, some mm -hmm. people that have been in my life for so many years that are amazing. But most of my relationships were shallow. So where do I find this sense of community? And when I came back to the Catholic Church, it was just this feeling, kind of this, I mean, if you want to say like this, aha, like angels singing around you when you walk in the church, where I just felt peace. Mm -hmm. I felt home. I felt like I had a daddy who loved me, you know, and that I belonged. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was a few few months after. Yeah, there was a few months yeah, in between. Yeah. There were probably five months total. And then as and I went straight, once I started going to daily mass, it was convicted in me that I needed to go to reconciliation. I didn't know the church teaching you should go to reconciliation before going to daily mass. I had no mm -hmm. idea. But the Holy Spirit just convicted me of that. And so I said, okay, you know, and it, I'll be honest, it was scary. I had 12 years of sin. 12 years prior to that, my grandmother threw me in the confessional by my hair. Mm. Italian. Yeah, Italian. <laughs> Italian, get it? And you, you know, the, the interesting part is I don't even know what I did. <laughs> I don't even know what I did. Um, but she knew. And I think that, you know, sometimes we need strong people in our life, strong, faithful people. You know, my grandmother prays the rosary like four, four 
times a day. You know, and this woman walks by blind faith. She doesn't have a ton of mystical experiences. She just mm -hmm. believes, you know, right. but she's got that power of the rosary, <laughs> the blessed yeah. mother, you know, there. And we need strong people that can just throw us in the confessional by our hair and be honest with us mm -hmm. when they see we've fallen away. So at the time I didn't appreciate it. I didn't understand, but you know, here I was going back now as an adult and making this choice for myself and wanting to get right with God. And so right. I did, I confessed 12 years of sin. Yeah. I don't know if you can, if you're willing to share it with us, but is there anything in the good column <laughs> that you could share? It'd be interesting to... It was very little. I mean, it was maybe like a couple acts of kindness. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was like, it was so minute that it was, it created the most intense suffering. I think it also because my sins were so, I mean, to me, they were so severe. If you ask anyone you know, who knew me before and they would be listening to this, they'd be like, Joelle, you are a good person. You are nice. Like, what are you yeah. talking about? You're always kind to me. Yeah. But they didn't understand the depths. I mean, even just the tiniest sin, St. Faustina says, we have to account for it. Mm -hmm. It's painful. So when you actually see how much God loves you and how much he's given you, you know, me specifically in this moment and that I wasted it, I mean, yeah. every sin is gigantic. Mm -hmm. It's, you want to throw yourself in hell, but my message is not this this uh, bombshell of like doom and gloom. It's a message of mercy that God doesn't, he doesn't want us to die in that state. He doesn't want to leave us there. He doesn't want us to be shattered and not knowing who we are. He wants to restore our identity. Right. And you know, that part about like knowing the ramifications, the effects, consequences of our sin, I, that's my understanding of the general the resurrection, the general resurrection, general judgment at the end of time when Jesus comes again. We have the particular judgment when we die, you know, heaven, hell, purgatory. But then at the end, in the second coming, there's the general judgment. And the catechism has this little line about we see, I don't know the quote, but like the, the full extent of the good or evil. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's what I experienced, yeah. And I think even how maybe God drew good out of it. Which is the question everybody asks, you know, <laughs> how did, where is God? How's he, why is this happening? And, and at the end, we'll see how God did draw a good out of this. It might be a suffering of penance offered up or used yeah. it for grace. And I'm just your grandmother praying for you. I, I forgot who said this, but, you know, there's no conversion without prayer, either yeah. our prayer or somebody praying for us. E exactly. You know? you know, and I think some people, might also think, well, I don't have a grandmother praying for me, or I don't have someone doing the rosary. But you know, that's not true because mm -hmm. there are intercessors all over the world, and there's religious orders, and there's lay people, you know. And I pray for the conversion of sinners, you mm -hmm. know, and um, salvation of souls. And so somebody is praying for everybody. There's right. somebody, I mean, nobody is left behind in this because that's our call as Christians. You know, right. to that everybody's our brother and sister. Yeah. And so even if somebody is listening to this and thinks, well, I don't have that person in my life, you do. Mm -hmm. You have us. Yeah. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> and I, I think of like the office, the liturgy of the hours and priests and religious pray. Lay people are invited to pray it as well. But I know for us, if I if I just sat down and read, it's a you know it's a collection of psalms and yeah. scripture readings and writing the saints. And I mean, it, if I just prayed, I was probably like 40 minutes or something of just all the prayers we say throughout the day. There's morning prayer, evening prayer, midday prayer, night prayer. And that is the prayer of the church, you know, and it is, uh, it's, you know, the church teaches that it's a response to Jesus's command 
to pray always, mm-hmm. or is it St. Paul's? Pray always. <laughs> <laughs> but that continual prayer that the church can offer up, because somewhere, somewhere around the world, some someone's praying in the office, mm-hmm. you know, and we, and there's certainly intercessions in there praying for, yeah. for people, conversion and things. So, you know, it's a beautiful thing to know the power of the church of prayer. That we just started televising Sunday evening prayer with a yeah. benediction. And I'm I'm really excited for that because it's it's because we were having a holy hour, mm-hmm. televised holy hour, and now we're gonna do we're gonna unite it with uh, it's not gonna be a it's gonna be like a half hour, but it's gonna be united with the office, and it just seems so powerful, you know, yeah. to unite with the church, because I I mean as a priest, people come up to me all the time <laughs> and say I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. They tell That's me, good, yeah. yeah, they say and priests need a lot of prayer. And I think right. a lot of times it's the other way around where, yeah. you know, the priest or the person in ministry is like, pray for me for this, 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 yeah. and this. And by yeah. the, it's like, by the way, well, can you pray for me too? <laughs> you right, know? right. Yeah. You know? So and that's I, beautiful. Yeah, it is. And I, uh, and people spontaneously tell me that and, and I'll ask for their prayers too. And they'll say like, I am, I do, we do pray for you. And, you know, a lot of it's women, but also men will tell me that they pray for us. And, um, so, you know, that's very powerful. And while we're talking about priests, uh, Father John Paul shared with me that, like, you, you've recognized, like, a, a mother wound in priests. Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's something I, I have come across. I have some friends that are priests and just, you know, I've counseled people, lay people and priests throughout the years, just, you know, in a confidence of, mm-hmm. you know, healing and woundedness. And I will say, you know, the mother wound is just as real as a father wound. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why a lot of people were just so driven to Mother Angelica. You know, she was a true mother mm-hmm. to all and, mm-hmm. and men and women, you know, they're, yeah. they're, it could go both ways. But especially, you know, when you look at a mother son relationship, look at yeah. the blessed mother and baby Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there there is something about the two sexes, you know. I mean, of course, a mother daughter relationship is very special as well. But a mother son, let's just mm-hmm. start there, you know. And so if a priest has a wound you know, he's always searching for that motherly love. And I think right. a lot of priests will draw close to the Blessed Mother mm-hmm. for that as well. But just to have um, a motherly figure in their life is so powerful because it's it's just not common. Someone yeah. that, that just gives that nurture, you know, right. and it, it really doesn't matter how old somebody gets. I mean, everyone wants mm. wants to know, oh, did you see my boo-boo? Especially, I think <laughs> guys don't suffer as well as women. I'm so sorry to say this, you know, not from my experience. It's like, look at my boo-boo. It's like a little scratch, you know. Right. But they want someone to, to kiss their boo-boo and say, yeah, oh, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay, right. honey. Just that, that love that someone cares for you, mm-hmm. honors you, respects you, is happy to see you. I had this one guy who just, he missed his mom because his mom was always happy to see him. Mm. Just that, like, you know, someone to run and hug you, yeah, you know, yeah. and I've, I've actually taken that to heart. And I'm thinking like, yeah, I mean, how many people are just that ecstatic to see you? Like right. we almost get so used to each other <laughs> that it's right. like, oh, hey, you know, yeah. I know you, you know me, whatever. And that I joke around with some of my priest friends. Like if I don't hear from them a while, I say, oh, am I not new and shiny anymore? 
And, you know, so now they make sure I'm new and shiny because <laughs> the point is yeah. we should never get dull with each other. Right. We should right. always be in the present moment and focused on each other and showing that love, you know, whether yeah. it's a fatherly love from a priest or a motherly love, you know, or right. even from a lay person. I mean, the point is this, the world is desperate for father and mother figures. The world is desperate for family. And most of the time we feel like orphans. Most of the time we feel without community. And it's even within the church. And it's like, well, what's the whole point of the church? It's for that feeling of longing and belonging in mm -hmm. Christ. Yeah. It's that pure, you know what, at, at the bottom of our hearts, we're just looking for that pure love to know that someone just loves us for us. Mm -hmm. They're not trying to use us, right? right? I mean, you can look at lust in, in a sexual way, but you can also look at it in an emotional way mm -hmm. or any other way. Does yeah. someone just want to use us or do they really desire our greater good? Do they really see us and love us flaws and all right. that unconditional love? I mean, we should always be working on ourselves. We should mm -hmm. always be asking the Lord, what is my weakness? Help me overcome this. Give me the grace. But at the same time, we should be looking for the good in people. Yeah. And I think that's where a huge part of the spiritual warfare comes in is the enemy because we're judged on love. And love is relationship. He wants to tear every relationship away, whether it's with priests, whether it's with friendships, whether it's anything. He's, the enemy's always whispering in the ear, look at their fault. Look at what's wrong with them. Instead of, you know, what God is saying, look at me in them. Find me in them. Like, I'm in them. Mm -hmm. I'm in your enemy. And this, right. this uh, I told someone, they really changed their life. I was doing a retreat on forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, this is... it. God cries with us. When we cry, no question, like God is on our side. He doesn't want us to get hurt. He doesn't want us, anyone to be mean to us. Yeah. But at the same time, we're all his favorite, which means mm -hmm. even our enemies are his favorites mm -hmm. because God doesn't look at that enemy and condemn them. God looks at our enemy and says, I know the good that you were created for. Yeah. I have more for you. You know, we can't change the person's will. They have to do that on their own. That's where the grace enters in. But God is looking at each and every person, even the worst murderer, the worst person. And he's saying, I created you for more. I have a plan. Like, if you just come back to me, mm -hmm. I don't care what you've done, what you've been through. You know, I want to give you real love. Mm -hmm. I want you to fill your good column. Mm -hmm. And I think that's hard. You know, a lot of times people get stuck in unforgiveness of like, well, no, that's unforgivable. But holding a grudge only holds us in bondage. So anytime we can just release something to God, even if it's a prayer for that person, it sets us free because we're doing an act of love. Trying to find Christ in our enemy is not easy. Right. Trying to find Christ in someone who's annoying you or has bad habits or, you know, and I'm not perfect. I am like, go with the flow mm -hmm. kind of thing. So if someone's a type A personality and wants something really structured, I probably drive them nuts. Mm -hmm. I can't stop being me. I can work on my weakness and try to be more structured. I'm great with, you know, right. tasks and deadlines uh -huh. if someone gives them to me. But if you don't, like, yeah. I just, you know, and, and praise God, you know, he's he guides us all in different ways. Mm -hmm. But if we're not aware that everybody's built differently and everybody has different gifts and everybody has a different purpose, we're going to start to judge. We're going to start to find, you know, what's wrong with people instead of what's right. 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 And you, part of your story, too, when you went to confession, um later you you had doubts about your being forgiven yeah you know after that first confession 12 years of sin and the priest before i left he warned me he said you're going to walk out of here the enemy's going to attack you and tell you you're not forgiven mm -hmm. but you are right. like it's done right. and you don't need to repeat you mm -hmm. know the confession 
So I said, okay, you know, I walked out really strong. I really mm. was like, oh yeah, you know, he told me this, I'm going to be on guard for this battle. Right. And no, I walked out and I was just like, how was I forgiven? You know, that was just too easy. Mm. You know, and St. Faustina talks about the divine mercy, like God's mercy is for the taking, but the hardest person to forgive sometimes is ourself mm. and to actually accept the mercy right. and say, really? Like, like, I'm your favorite, really? Right. You love me? Right, right. And that uh, when you gave the retreat about forgiveness, what 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 do you tell people about how to forgive? What's do you is that part of the retreat? Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, I think most of the people that I'm speaking to really can't aren't at a place where they can forgive in that moment. At least they think they can't. Mm -hmm. So what I try to explain to them is that forgiveness isn't a feeling; it's an act of the will. It's just transferring the offense to God, saying. I'm not going to try to, you know, hold on to this anymore. Right. It's it, it's touching the pain of the offense, literally. And I, I love using the name of Jesus because we know that he's the one <laughs> who right. breaks the bonds of any kind of evil or bondage, right? So it's in the name of Jesus, I forgive. Name the person's name for, name the offense. You know, uh, Neil Lanzano talks about this in his book, Unbound, and it's just incredible. Mm. You're just transferring your will to Christ. You're just giving the offense to him. You're touching the pain and you're handing it over for God to deal with it in the way he can. Yeah. And just that's if that's all you can do, it's going to set you free because holding on to the grudge and trying to take matters into our own hands, mm -hmm. it doesn't solve anything and it doesn't it, it holds our minds up in an array of bondage of like reliving the event and reliving the pain and, you know, not being able to love that person. But what if we can give this to God and maybe even get to the point where we can pray for that person or pick up the phone and call them and do mm -hmm. an act of love? The whole thing might turn around. Right. A reconciliation might be possible. And when it's not, at least you know that God has it. Right. And what, what happened for you? You were wrestling with it and doubting that forgiveness. And... Yeah, so I came back and I was doubting it. So I went back the next week to go to reconciliation again. And this time I fasted and prayed because I read the Bible and this is you know what yeah. you're supposed to do. And I'm a huge fan of fasting, honestly, even yeah. little fasts, you yeah. know. Like you're really tempted to eat chocolate today, we'll offer it up, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> not just during Lent, but we should be fa doing different fasting. So anyway, I fasted, I prayed, I went back and I confessed that I didn't think I was forgiven, but I know that I am. And so, you know, I accepted that. It was when I left that confession, I still didn't feel any better. And I think this is important to share because I think a lot of people think they're going to go in confession and get some kind of lightning bolt and just feel like it's all gone. Mm -hmm. And it's a process of actually letting it go to God. I hadn't quite forgiven myself yet. So I still came back from the second confession without my, you know, lightning bolt moment, which right. does happen sometimes to people and has happened to me in other t confessions, but not in this, at mm. this stage. And I was just crying in my room. Like, I mean, it wasn't even like a whimper. I was like screaming and crying in this mm. agony of like darkness. Like I just felt like it was the weight of sin was still around me. I don't know how to explain this, mm. but I started screaming out the words, Abba, Abba, like, Abba, Abba, like really, I mean, it was dramatic. Thank God nobody was watching me and there were no cameras around because it was ugly. <laughs> it was an ugly cry. But, but it was one that must have been so loud that it pierced heaven because in that moment, you know, uh, and I know Romans 8, 15, the spirit of adoption cries out within us. You know, we have the Holy Spirit. I had no idea of any of this was going on. You know, I had this another deep, profound encounter with the mm -hmm. Lord and, and just knew I was forgiven. I 
oh, and to my depths received God's love. And it was like darkness just walked out of the room. Right. So then um, you later got in the, now you're in full-time ministry. Yeah. And, you, and, uh, <laughs> and you have a Carmelite spirituality. Right? Yes, yeah. 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 yeah, you know, and it's, it's, um, it's such a drastic change. I think a lot of people were in the beginning were like, what? She's leaving the cosmetic company. It was a long discernment. It was a three and a half year discernment to close the doors to the cosmetic company. And I had a spiritual director and, you know, but it just, in my heart, it wasn't where I was supposed to be. I just knew there was more. And this is something that I encourage all people is when you discern that God has something else, go for it. Because you know what? I left with no job in sight, Mm. but I knew that God was calling me to ministry. And mm-hmm. I didn't know 100% what yet, you know, until mm-hmm. he began to open those doors and the stories, they're long, but they're miraculous. And it's that, you know, l- like what Mother Angelica did. It is mm-hmm. just stepping out in faith. Well, if God tells you to do something, do it. Like, don't mm-hmm. delay, you know. And from uh, that, I was led into youth ministry and was director of adult um, of high school faith formation and confirmation and then did adult faith formation classes. I formed a discipleship group. I was like on the super drive kind of to the point of burnout. I mean, it was mm. just too much, but I loved it. And then I got called, the Lord was calling me more to the speaking. And so again, it was like taking another leap of faith, you know, but God is who he says he is. And sometimes we have to actually take that leap and trust before the next door is revealed. So again, I'm like, okay, you know, and I put in my resignation with plenty of time. I left on fantastic terms and I loved everyone at the parish. It's just, you need to go where God calls you. And sometimes it's not where you thought it was going to be. You know, my Mm -hmm. high school dream was to be on a soap opera and I did book a soap opera and had a terrible thing happen with my co-star, you know? And so even though we have shattered dreams of where we thought our life was going to be, taking that next step, taking that leap of faith, once we discern God's calling us a certain way, is where the next door opens. Yeah, yeah. Was there, now that we've done the show and everything, was there a point you wanted to make? We didn't... (laughs) Oh my goodness, there's so much I want to say. (laughs) I can talk forever and ever, Uh you know, maybe I'll come back and maybe we can um, just do a show even on theology of the body. I think because we're judged on love, that's the number one thing that's attacked uh-huh. are, are, you know, the relationships, right. our bodies, our sexuality, you know, the beauty of all of that gets twisted and distorted in the world where it's like this shameful thing. And that's not how God intended it to be. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to live in that identity either. Mm-hmm. It's not just this Adam and Eve thing happened and God left it there. Right. You know, in Genesis 3.15, he's yeah. got a plan. He's right. got a plan. <laughs> and so, you know, he wants us to participate in that plan and know the truth of our beauty, the truth mm-hmm. of our bodies, the, mm-hmm. the truth of our sexuality to, you know, fill the world with his love, with his right. truth. Right. Do you ever give talks like on same-sex attraction or anything? Uh, that's such a hot button issue today. Like yeah, I haven't done a ton yeah. of talks on same-sex attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, I Personally, I haven't suffered it, mm-hmm. and so I don't really understand right, um, right. the depths of it. Yeah. But, you but talk- I do talk about natural law, you know, and I teach yeah. certification classes. And, you know, I mean, natural law is very obvious. It's right. not even a religious point of, yeah. you know, men and women fit together. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean, you know, I think what happens with the same-sex attraction is that the people who are suffering that, they feel like like they don't belong or have a family anymore. And that's not the truth. Like they are God's child. 
-hmm. you know? And I mean, I'm a single woman. I have to practice chastity no different mm -hmm. than someone who has that attraction. You know, right. I don't have a husband, so right. I'm not telling you it's easy. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that we should ever preach a message of, you know, living a chaste life or a celibate life uh -huh. is an easy thing to do. It's right. a cross. It might be the greatest, most amazing, you know, difficult cross to someone who doesn't have a supernatural gift of celibacy. Mm -hmm. But it's what do we do with that? And so I think that the bottom line is, is that God loves everyone. Right. And when we can embrace that love, see, we have this longing in our heart, whether we're longing for a male or a female or, mm -hmm. you know, we're created with this intense desire to love, to give love, to receive love. And so unless we're connected to God, we're not going to be able to get it the right way anyway. You know, we're right. not going to be able to have the strength. Let me just put it that way. I wouldn't have the strength to live the life that I do. Uh-huh. Unless I kept saying to God, you made me this way. Here's my longing. Now fill it. Right. Because right. I am dying for heaven. I am dying yeah. for eternal ecstasy in heaven. Yeah. You know, because that's what we all are. We all want that bliss. Everyone wants happiness and, and to feel good. You know, <laughs> and mm -hmm. in the garden, the beginning, it probably was like that. This amazing communion with God. But God doesn't leave us there. But what happens is if people feel left out and they feel unloved and they feel like they're not part of the community, then it's almost like you can you can get in the dangerous trap like I did of cutting my phone line off to God, which was prayer and going to him for everything, right. you know. But I think if we can question God and say, God, why do I have these desires or what do I do with them? Or do you love me? Are you real? Do you exist? Do you have mm. anything you want to say to me? I think that's where a lot of those those questions are going to be answered. And so I don't have that answer, but God does. Mm -hmm. And he wants to speak to every single person's heart, no matter what they're dealing with, any kind of suffering, whether it's a physical suffering, a spiritual suffering, mental, emotional. He wants to just heal us with his love and say, here's the truth of what I think about you. Right. Right. That's a great point about the, uh, the homosexual community to a I was struck by, listen to one person's story that it was like, you know, they felt so alienated and this was, they felt the same sex attraction and, you know, so they, whatever, they didn't have the stereotypical male or female characteristics. And uh, so this community over here accepted them, mm -hmm. you know, the gay community. So mm -hmm. they, they went with that. And uh, it just struck me as kind of so tragic, you know, that, um, you know, if you don't kind of fit the norms of just a stereotypical male characteristics or female, it can be a great temptation, mm -hmm. you know, to fall into this. And but anyway, yeah, that that what they were this person was saying, they were just longing for that community. Yeah. And, um, but they, I mean, they've done studies. I mean, one of the top TED Talks, Brene mm -hmm. Brown, just, you know, she studied, she was going to try to beat shame and, you know, all mm -hmm. this and studied relationships and hours and hours and hours of research. And we're yeah. actually neurobiologically wired for connection and belonging. Yeah. And the only way we can do that is through vulnerability. So if we're vulnerable with people and they don't like what we say, well, now we've lost the connection <laughs> and, you know, and the um, the belonging. And so then where are we going to go? Well, human nature, we gravitate to where we're accepted. Yeah. And I think as a church, that's where we need to really come together and just accept people. Of course, we never, you know, accept anything that, that um, goes against teaching. But right. we accept people and love them and everyone's our brother and sister. And you know what? Like we're all struggling with something. So if we want to focus on, oh, it's homosexuality. Well, guess what? It's way more than that. What about adultery? You know, yeah. so it's OK that a person walks down the communion line, you know, mm -hmm. and they're having an affair with someone else. Well, no mm -hmm. one's pointing the finger at them, but the homosexual will get the finger pointed out. I mean, come mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, everybody is struggling 
with something. And life is not easy. Yeah. And, you know, the difference is, is that when we can bring our cross to God and be filled and flooded with his love is the only way that we're going to get through the crosses in life. Mm. And I think, you know, especially in being in ministry, people think like, oh, yeah, you're so close to God. You pray a lot. And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, well, the cross gets a little heavier. The difference is, is that we keep bringing it to him instead of trying to cut the cross down. You know, there was this kind of this comic book or this email that went around. And the person was like, oh, my cross is heavy. My cross is heavy, right? And so the guy keeps asking for pieces of his cross to get um, chopped off. And then he, him and these other people get to this big, like, valley where they have to, like, lay their cross down to get across the gap or they're going to fall and die. And the guy goes to lay his cross down and he's chopped off too much of it. <laughs> and now he can't walk across. He's stuck. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's the thing is that, I mean, there's these kind of these false ideas and false religions out there. I met this guy once who was just like, I'm going to go to some seminar and I'm going to learn how to be like the master of my own destiny and I'm never going to suffer again. Like everything's just going to go my way. And it's like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's wrong on so many levels because it's not truth. Right. And it's it's just not the way. I mean, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Mm. And, you know, God wants us not to be suffering and miserable. He wants yeah. us just to know how to deal with our suffering and to bring it to him and, and unite our crosses. Right. That's where we're going to find joy, no matter what our suffering is, no matter what our struggles are, is to know that we're one in Christ and lean on each other. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what friendship is. That's what community is about. It's it's not just say like, oh, you know, buckle up your bootstraps and, you know, go pray and, you know, Jesus is with you. You can do this. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that is not compassionate at all. But what about having compassion and empathy for the person suffering when you're down? I mean, I think we're all up and down at different points. And I think God is beautiful, you know, at, at having us to be able to be there for each other at different times. Right. We're not always all in desolation. We're not always all in consolation. Things are, you know, we have moments where it's like, oh, good wasn't anything too crazy happened for a week, you know? <laughs> well, you know what? That's your chance to be there for the person who did have the crazy week, who just needs a shoulder to cry on. And people run away. I've noticed this. If you share your problems with them, they want to just bolt out the door. It's mm -hmm. too much. That's mm -hmm. not the message either. Right. Right? Because you wouldn't want that done to you. So it's that do unto others as you want done to yourself. Mm -hmm. It's being there for one another. It's about being able to be vulnerable, being able to connect, being able to love. And we can only do that with Christ in the center. But he does want us to be joyful. Right. I mean, we should be walking out, out of Holy Mass really just happy, mm -hmm. you know, ready to share the good news and take on the day and just be so present. Yeah for what God may have planned next. Well, you just reminded me too, uh, we, we talked about adoration and prayer and how do you approach prayer? I remember one time you said yeah. you, you'd ask God to <laughs> reveal like lies that you believed about yourself. Oh, at, at the beginning of my reversion, yeah, I just, um, the priest told me about the adoration chapel. I didn't even know what that meant. I thought, saw right. a statue of the Blessed Mother. I mm -hmm. thought it was a room for Our Lady. I didn't mm -hmm. realize that the monstrance with the ho consecrated host was right in front of me. So. I love ador adoration. I spend a lot of time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, but I asked God to show me the lies of my heart. I asked him just point blank, like, what's in the way of me getting to know you? Yeah. Because I want to love and I, and I know your love and I can't love without you. And all these lies just came out of my, like to my mind that I just put on the paper. And I was like, wow, it wasn't three or four. It was like mm -hmm. 80. It was like a whole paper. And I started writing smaller and smaller and smaller <laughs> until, you know, it was just, there was no more room. But the thing is this, is that, 
We're all going to pray in different ways. Personally, I spend a lot of time in silence. I know it's hard to believe because mm. I'm a speaker and I, <laughs> and I talk a lot, but I'm actually an introvert and spend a lot of time in silence. Uh. I'm a contemplative. Um, and, you know, I have four years formation um, as a secular Carmelite and I had made first promises. Now, whether or not I make final or, you know, because right now my speaking schedule, I had to leave the community um, in order to speak mm. um, on certain weekends. So we'll see. You know, it's all a discernment, but the bottom line is, is, being there and even being part of OCDS, the secular Carmelites, I learned how to sit still. I learned and loved, you know, to be in silence. And so that's not for everyone, you know. Right. Um, now I, I just got into the rosary. I mean, I've seen gigantic miracles from the rosary, but I still sit in silence. So um, I do it all right now. Yeah. But um, I do love to spend a lot of time with God in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And I ask a lot of questions, but mm. then I also sit and listen. And I think it's important to ask the questions because we're wondering, if we're wondering why God isn't doing something, but we're not asking him, you know, mm -hmm. is there anything you want to say to me? Right. I mean, I ask him a lot, what do you want to say to me today? Yeah. You know? You're and not that, afraid of what he, he's going to say? I am. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'm very scared. One time he told me to do something. And I was like, I was like feeling very brave. I'm like, Lord, I'll do anything that you tell me. And then like, it came to mind to like call someone that I need to forgive. I'm like, oh, anything but that, you know, <laughs> you know, but no, it's scary because the truth is that God does want to talk to us. And sometimes we don't like um, his answers. And so one of my prayers is just, Lord, let my will be one with yours because mm -hmm. I do have self-will. We're all, you know, fighting against what we think a picture of life is supposed to be like, like what our mm -hmm. dream is right? and not entrusting to God that his dream is much bigger and better than anything we can imagine. And it is the ultimate fulfillment of our joy and our happiness. So the kind of, we fight them for no reason. At the end of the day, when we don't surrender it, we're not happy, we're just full of pain. And the second we surrender it is when that joy, you know, and that peace, because yeah. oh, there's only peace in his will. That's when the peace rushes in. So I would say, you know, people really, really need to see based on your personality, you know, how are you designed? I can sit three hours in silence sometimes. I love it. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. sometimes God kicks me out of the adoration chapel and I was like, yeah, no, you got, <laughs> you have some duties you need to yeah. go attend to, you know, and, um, and know that he's going to speak to you. He's going to speak to all of us in different ways. I really believe if you spend enough time in silence, you're going to start to hear him in your heart. And it's just going to be a constant message of I love you. And mm. I believe in you and I have plans for you. And this is who you are. You know, it's not going to be anything out of the ordinary, you know, like go kill someone or, <laughs> or you know, stay mad at so-and-so. Yeah, it's yeah. always, and it's always going to come with peace. And, you know, maybe a scripture comes to your mind or a, a song, mm. you know, or somebody just happens to text you in prayer and just, you know, says something that you needed to hear. You know, right. God is always trying, even through the circumstances in our life, communicating ourselves in. But unless we start asking him, what it is he wants to say we're not going to know who we are mm -hmm. we're not going to know where we're going and if we don't listen for the reply we're never going to hear it so that's what i think that's kind of um what i've learned to do is just really listen and i act on what i feel he's calling me to and I, mother angelica did that a lot too and trust me i'm not comparing uh, myself to her i'd love to be as bold of an italian as she was you know yeah. god bless her but i mean sometimes it's just that okay I believe God gave me this inspiration. You know, I mean, of course, we test the spirits. Um, but if you really feel God is calling you to something or is asking you to reconcile a situation, you know, mm -hmm. I really think we need to act on it and just see where it goes. Right. We need to begin right. in order to see what happens, you know. Yeah. And you said something that struck me about you know, doing his will is the only way we're going to have peace. I, 
I remember some years ago, this was before I was ordained, and I was struggling with having peace. And I was, I remember I was reading some different things, and, uh, and finally I came across that Dante quote of in his will peace mm. it was so simple and it's like so that, simple that surrender oh. and you've got a great quote about surrender tell us about that which one the about, rock yeah oh. <laughs> <laughs> well you know and i think again i just i am not one to sugarcoat things people think oh you you have a relationship with jesus like you never have trials or anything anymore but in the you know especially uh, in carmelite spirituality you know i don't know if you've heard of the dark night of the soul mm. you know where God is so close that you are just so blinded by his light that it feels like he left you, this feeling of abandonment, you know? Right. And so it feels like a rock bottom moment or maybe some something happens or there's a death in the family or no, like there's all these things happen. There are like all these kind of like rock bottom spiritual moments where I finally realized that there is no bottom, but Jesus is the rock. Mm. I mean, it just feels like the floor gets <laughs> kind right, of taken out from right. under you. I mean, more times I can count at this time. So I think that's what we need to look forward to is not that we're escaping like this kind of, you know, whether God feels absent or something happens in our life, but uh -huh. that he is the rock that we stand on. Yeah. And he doesn't leave us. He doesn't abandon us, even when we don't feel him there. And, you know, in those moments where you just think he doesn't love you or he's just left to just say, Lord, I don't feel you right now. Mm. But I believe that you love me. I believe that you're with me because I believe in your truth. I believe in your word. He's not a liar. And God is not someone once told me God's not a jokester with your life. Mm -hmm. And that stuck with me. Yeah. He doesn't want to mess around with our life. He's not, he doesn't well, it's think it's a joke. It. I just heard somebody say too, yeah, God's not some you know, angry le leprechaun trying to confuse <laughs> us and mislead no. us and everything. No, and, he, uh, he yeah. wants like the best for each and every one of us. He, yeah. he wants this conversation right now, like yeah. a brother and sister uh -huh. sharing their hearts and talking about him. Right. He doesn't want to be left out of the conversation. He's right. a jealous God. Yeah. <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, praying the rosary. Has that, uh, that helped you to develop a deeper relationship with Mary? And Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's something that... I didn't understand the rosary for years. I would see my grandparents, you know, saying Hail Mary, full of grace over and over. I didn't know they were meditating on the mysteries mm -hmm. and the gospel. You know, I, I didn't understand that. And so um, I actually, I didn't say, oh, I, I love the rosary. I'm going to do it. I was inspired in my silent prayer mm -hmm. where I felt the Lord was asking me to pray at least one rosary a day. And that was wow. kind of, you know, <laughs> if you, to maybe to deepen my relationship with Mary, but certainly there is a power in the rosary that there are no words for because I was obedient to my prayer to start saying the rosary. And I have seen miracle after miracle, not just for me, because really, truly, our gift of prayer is for others. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing miracles in others' lives. And when you start to see that, when you start to see the power of intercessory prayer, like, why wouldn't you use it? Why wouldn't you wish good for others? Mm -hmm. It takes you out of yourself. And I think that the rosary is just so needed at this time. I think that the Blessed Mother is so misunderstood. And it took yeah. me a long time to really understand. I love the wedding at Cana. I know. I liked what way you said that. Is that like she just presents the problem to Jesus. She's just she's just interceding. Yeah. Saying, here's the problem. They're out of wine. And you know what? Our wine could be literally wine. Maybe like sometimes I open my fridge and I joke around Jesus. I'm like, I'm out of wine. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're almost out of wine you know but what does that mean it Mama means like <laughs> yeah it means like give us this day our daily bread right? right it means maybe you're out of wine is like a relationship feels empty or you're out of wine like you feel like you can't get up and go to work that day right. or you're out of wine because you just think that god doesn't love you or no one loves you and you're all alone Mm-hmm. I think, and St. Mother Teresa said this, the greatest poverty is a feeling of being unloved, which right. is the, you know, that we're right. called to community. So, but the Blessed Mother, she just presents this problem and says, Jesus. So she, I think, I like that because it's not, she's pre, she's not presenting a solution. No. And, and, she, and I like the way you said it too, that she's presenting this emptiness. The like, emptiness. Like and, I'm out of solution. And the, pro- so the problem <laughs> is when we, here's a joke, I don't know if you've heard this one, but mm-hmm. when we try to tell God how to do things and treat him like a genie in a bottle, mm-hmm. we mess up because, you know, St. Teresa of Aphilus says, there's more tears shed over answered prayers than unanswered prayers. Mm-hmm. So there's this joke, it goes something like this. A guy gets a, rubs the bottle, the genie comes down and says, you have three wishes. The first wish, he says, oh, I want to be the richest man, you know? So he's on top of this big building in a suit, you know, he's rich. The second wish, he goes, I want a Lamborghini. Poof, there's a Lamborghini. Now, Father Mark, I've been thinking about this just a little bit. If you got all the money in the world, why'd you waste a whole wish on a Lamborghini? Could he not wait to order one? I don't know, right? So you see where this is going. Well, third wish, the genie's like, you got one more, make it really good. And he thought about it and he goes, huh, I want to be irresistible to all women. And the genie looked at him, big eyes, and said, you sure? Yep, that's what I want poof, he turned into a box of chocolates. (laughs) And that's what happens in our prayer. When we treat God like he's some genie, you know, or magician, and he's just going to give us what we want, we're going to mess it up. But when we present and we're going to limit him. And here's the thing is that at the wedding of Cana, not only does she present the problem, you know, but Jesus asked them to fill the water jars. And we're not talking little water jars. We're talking six, 20 to 30 gallon water jars. Mm -hmm. And they fill them, it says, to the brim. And I love that language, to the brim. Because God wants our love to be so overflowing. And and the wine is the Holy Spirit. The wine is to be drunk on love for Christ, to be completely inebriated. Mm -hmm. He is a God of generosity. If we just say, like, fill this little bottle, all right. right. I mean, that's not, he's God. Like, okay, here's your little bottle. Why are we going to limit him? Why are we just not going to say, give us what you think is, is best. Give us an abundance. What it, it may not be what we thought it was going to be. It mm-hmm. may not be our plan, but there's a problem here. Mm-hmm. Help me. Mm-hmm. I trust in you, Jesus. I trust in you, you know? Imagine what that wine must have tasted like. Well, we have it at Holy <laughs> Communion, right? I mean, it is the wine of life. It's, it's what you make of it. Whatever God empties or allows to be emptied in our life, he wants to fill. Mm-hmm. He does not want us running on empty. That's not the gospel. And I think that a lot of times as we have some God in our minds that is like not the God of the gospel, it's like this mean condemning God who doesn't love us, who let us be in bad situations instead of opening our hearts to the grace and saying, I'm out of wine. Jesus, help me. And how how do you see uh, Mary now? What, What are some of the things like you that maybe make you stand in awe or something Aww. of her. But is... she, you know, she's just so beautiful. Uh-huh. So, you know, sometimes it's funny. This is very silly. I've never shared this before, but um, sometimes I study artwork of her and how mm-hmm. her makeup was done. And I didn't do it today because <laughs> we were on television, so I wore a little extra makeup. But sometimes I just want to uh, imitate her beauty, not yeah. on the inside and the outside. Right. Like, you know, how can I still show my femininity 
while being modest. Even the dress I have on right now, believe it or not, mm. had a slit down the middle of mm. the top. I mean, it's a very conservative dress yeah. past the knee, but I had to go have it altered. And, mm. you know, I think Mary is an inspiration for that. Like, how can I still, you know, have somewhat of the fashion trends, yeah. you know, but also make it to a place where I'm comfortable, where I know that I'm not being looked at as an object. And I don't think anyone ever looks at the Blessed Mother as an object because you just see her as a person, you know, and of course she was called in a very special way, but also her yes should empower us because imagine whatever God has to ask of us. I mean, it's not going to be the same question she got, but if she can say yes to such a big task mm -hmm. and so humbly, then who are we to say no? Right. And why would we? And so I just, I look at her as a model of courage. She's the real Wonder Woman. I have a whole mm -hmm. thing about Wonder Woman. I mean, <laughs> she's Wonder Woman. Yeah. 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 And, and, and she never points us in the wrong direction because she is in such a deep union with Christ. Mm -hmm. And this, this took me a while to really grasp, but she only wants what God wants. She's never going to steer us in the wrong direction. She's always saying, go to my son. Because she says, they after, they after Jesus are out of wine, and he says, oh, woman, what have you to do with me? My time has not yet come. Right. He's not being rude. He's calling her the new woman, the new Eve. And then she says, do whatever he tells you. Hmm. So she's just pointing us back to have a relationship with God, because how will we know what he tells us unless we can hear him? And it goes back to that question. Right. was back to that relationship. Jesus, I'm out of wine. What do you say about it? What are yeah. my next steps? You know, I'm not saying he's yeah. going to like rain down wine jars. That'd be great. It happened in the desert you know, <laughs> with the manna and water from a rock. <laughs> but, you know, in all reality, it's that relationship of what steps do you want me to take, Lord? You know, mm -hmm. or can you send someone to help me, you know, to, to put in my life to get through this dark time? Yeah. And maybe we'll just close with the topic about beauty and um and as we talked about in the show you know the culture it's a very kind of superficial focus yes. on the exterior form and it winds up driving people crazy you know endless pursuit of unattainable goals of beauty or stuff yeah and i i feel i i, I feel for our young women especially that they you know they're just under this constant barrage of that messaging and uh so what is the Catholic Christian perspective of beauty in regards to the human person? Yeah, I think that we need to really embrace who we are mm -hmm. individually and stop trying to compare and compete with one another right. um, because that just hinders our true beauty from shining through. Like God gave us different hair color, different eye color, different body shapes, mm -hmm. sizes, you name it, you know, and the culture is more like fit in this box and that's what beauty is. But God is like, no, I made you perfect. You're made yeah. in my image and he wants us to be confident in that image and to, you know, to say, okay, this is me. And also personality, you know, I don't, I think that there's sometimes this fear, such a fear of rejection and a fear of being known that mm -hmm. like afraid that people won't love us. Right. But what if we just accepted ourselves in Christ? What if we just were so rooted in the truth of who he says we are mm -hmm. that nobody could steal that from us? Cause you know what? Like, let's just be honest, people will try to steal our identity left and right, Yeah. you know, right. and um, we need to just know that true beauty comes from the inside. You know, as we spoke about earlier um, on the show, love is the beauty of the soul, which is what St. Augustine says. And so we need to focus on love. We need to focus on a relationship with the Lord. And through that, our true beauty will shine and we'll be able to fill our good column in love. So the truth of our identity is that children of God called the love, made out of love, made for love. Yes, yeah. <laughs> made by love, for love, to yeah. love. 
Yeah. All right. Well, that's a great note to end on. <laughs> thank you so much uh, for chatting with us again. And, thank uh, you, Father Mark. I'll be back. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I got more to say. <laughs> <laughs>